Um, in spite of the graphic, it's a great concept, a great idea, and a great thought that we need to explore. This idea, the series is called Growing Up, a series on sanctification, understanding sanctification. And um, he's going to close the series next week, and, but I want to share just one part of this kind of conversation that what we're going to deal with today is we're going to try to answer the question, why haven't you changed? Why haven't I changed? Like you've been in church, some of you have been in church your entire lives, and you're the same person you were 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 5 years ago. And I think if we're honest, a little bit of that has to make us feel uncomfortable. Because we're thinking that like if we're in church, we should have grown a little bit at least, but we're still struggling with the same, same issues. Now, um, I want to kind of recap really quick what Pastor Jonathan shared with us. What I, what I loved about his message is he gave us such a clear and simple and just perfect definition of sanctification. This is what he said. He said, sanctification is becoming more like Jesus. Sanctification is the process you go through in order to become more like Jesus. And that's like, that's such a perfect definition. So clear. We know it. We know what that is. We know what that looks like. And you know... This is more important. You know if you are being sanctified or have been sanctified. Because you just look at your life and you're like, have I become more like Jesus over the last five years? If your answer is no, then you're not going through this. If your answer is yes, then you've been kind of developing and growing in this. And one of the things he said to us in, in his messages is that sanctification is expected. It is something expected. When you become a follower of Jesus, it is expected according to scripture that you would become more like Jesus. It's expected, but it's not always experienced. Right? Like We all know if you believe in Jesus and you follow him, you should probably become more like him. But the truth is we don't always experience it. A lot of us, very few of us actually probably experience it. And for some of you, that has left you feeling frustrated and maybe frustrated with yourself. And you look at your life and you're like, man, I've been, what's wrong with me? I've been trying so hard. I go there and I do the things. How come I have not grown up at all? Why do I have the same problem? Why do I have the same thought processes? Why do I have the same struggles and addictions and behaviors that every time I do it, I'm like, why did I do that again? Why do I have those same things? And it has left you feeling frustrated to, uh, toward yourself, maybe frustrated with the other people that you've asked to help you or whatever. And there are some of you, and I think there would be a large majority of you, where you were frustrated at one point in time, but now you're over it. And you're just, you're not frustrated anymore. You're just like, well, I guess nothing's going to happen. I guess I'm just going to be the same all the time. And I've been going to church, and I read the Bible, and I prayed, and I, I, I went to small group, and I worshiped, and I went on mission trips, and I had little moments here and there, but none of it really works. And you're just kind of like disillusioned and disengaged because you feel like there's no hope, and you're never going to change. And so today, I want to take a stab at answering the question why I think you haven't changed. Whether you're in the first group or the second group. I, I should amend that statement. I should say, because I'm really with you in that. I want to make an attempt at explaining why I believe we have not changed. Even though we've been in the church every Sabbath, every weekend, we're in small groups, and 
but we're the same. I think I know the answer. And I don't usually come off this confident, you know? I'm always like, maybe this, maybe that. But I think I know the answer of why we're all the same and why we haven't changed. So let's pray. And I'm praying for God to really challenge us today. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for bringing us together to worship, Lord. God, I ask that you would be present in this place. And truly, 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 God, that this would be your time and that we would hear your voice. In your name we pray. Amen. So why haven't you changed? Why haven't I changed? I think at the base level, the reason why we haven't changed is because we have an incomplete view and an incomplete strategy of sanctification. The way we go about trying to become more like Jesus is incomplete. I, I, when I first wrote the message, the word I used was faulty. I first wanted to say we have a faulty view of sanctification, but then I realized that's not true. Our view and process of sanctification is not faulty, it's right. The things that we do, you have to do those things and they're good things, but it's incomplete. Let me explain to you what I mean. How do you, how have you gone about trying to become more like Jesus? Okay, think about that. How have you gone about trying to become more like Jesus? My guess is, it's some version of this. You had some conviction for some reason. Right, maybe a sermon, a video, a person you talked to, a bad experience, a mission trip. Something told you, you have to change. You have to stop. You have to start. Something kind of like, you know, stabbed you in the heart. And you're like, yes, it's time. So you had conviction. So most likely, what you did was you started praying. You said, God, help me to change. God, help me to change. Help me to be different. Help me to do things different. Maybe you picked up the Bible and you started reading the Bible and reading through the stories of the Gospels or the Old Testament and you read and read and read and studied and studied and studied. And you said, I'm going to go back to church or I'm going to go to church. And you started going to church and you actually started paying attention during worship. You started actually paying attention during sermons. You pulled out your notepad. You pulled out your phone, started writing notes. You started doing these things. And then throughout the week, you would just pray and read and try. That's what I think most of us have done. And those are all really good things. Like, you got to do those things. Those are really, really important things. And maybe some of you went the step further where you, you told somebody. And you said, hey, listen, I need you to keep me accountable. I'm trying to grow in this way. I'm trying to be more like Jesus in this way. So can you please help me? I want to talk to you, and I want you to keep me accountable. I want you to ask me every now and again, how's it going? How's it going with your anger? How's it going with your, with your addictions? How's it going with your, the, the, the things that you, you want to grow in, in your life? Where are you at in that? And you've probably tried all of those things or some of those things. And maybe it worked for a time, but eventually nothing changed. Why? I think the reason we haven't changed is not because any of those things are wrong or any of those things are bad, I think we've changed because all of that is good, but it is incomplete. And here's my answer to the question. Why do I think we haven't changed? The reason we haven't changed is because we have tried to change alone. That mostly a lot of the stuff that we have done to become more like Jesus, it was a solo effort. It was just you on your knees, you with the Bible, you at church, and you in those moments, gritting your teeth, trying to exercise willpower. How much willpower do you guys have? 
I don't know about you guys, but I don't have a lot of willpower. I'm not the most disciplined person. I, 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 I do a lot of things that I shouldn't do. I'm like, it's okay, it's okay. You know, late at night, you're hungry. It's okay. This one time is okay. And then tomorrow you're like, two times is okay. You know, two times all right. I don't have a ton of willpower. But the majority of our efforts to become more like Jesus is centered on what? Our willpower. I'm going to pray so that God will give me more willpower and strength. I'm going to read the Bible so I'll have more willpower and strength. But I think the reason why many of us have not changed is because we have largely tried to change, become more like Jesus all on our own. We just try to grit our teeth and use our willpower and and hopefully something will stick and something will change. Or maybe, and you probably prayed for this, some kind of miraculous change. God, can you just like take it away from me? Can you just cut it out of my life so I don't want to do it anymore? And that, that does happen. I'll tell you guys, that does happen. But that, unfortunately, is rare. That is the exception, not the rule. So the question I have to ask you guys is, as you have tried to become more like Jesus, how much of that was you doing it all by yourself? And maybe, maybe some of you guys, like I said, took that step and you told somebody else. And you're like, hey, I'm struggling with this. I want to change this. Can you keep me accountable? If you did that, you know how powerful just that was. When someone else is involved in that, you know how powerful that is. That when you speak out the struggle into existence, right, like you, you, you vocalize the thing that you're struggling with, you realize how much power that lost over you. And when you include someone else, you felt that. But here's what I want to tell you guys. That's still incomplete. There is another level of this that God has prepared for us to help you actually start changing and growing and becoming more like Jesus. The question that we have to ask ourselves, how did Jesus do it? How did Jesus go about the process of trying to sanctify his disciples? What did Jesus do to get his disciples to change and grow and become more like Jesus? What did he do? What did he do? Well, Jesus came to this world. He gathered his 12 disciples. And he took them to synagogue. Well, they went to synagogue weekly and they read scripture. He taught them how to pray, the Lord's Prayer. They actually asked him, Jesus, how do we pray? And he said, I'll teach you how to pray. But do you ever see in any of the gospel stories where Jesus says, okay, if you want to become more like me, here's what you got to do. You got to read the Bible, you got to pray, you got to go to synagogue, you got to volunteer, and that's what you got to do. All right? Bye. Good luck. No, no, no. You don't see Jesus going about the process of sanctification for his disciples in that way. It's actually very clear. It's actually very simple what Jesus did in order to sanctify or help his disciples grow to become more like him. From the very, very first invitations, you read what Jesus did. This is Mark chapter 1. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come... Follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. Move on to the next chapter, or the next few verses. In Mark chapter 1, verse 19, a little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, and in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also, was the word, followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. And one more in Mark chapter 2. 
As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. What was Jesus' method for helping his disciples to become more like him? It wasn't a teaching. It wasn't a single teaching. It wasn't a single command. It wasn't a single moment. It was an invitation to follow him. It was an invitation to have them enter into his life and they would walk together in life for three and a half years. Jesus' method of sanctification is called discipleship. Jesus' method of sanctification is called discipleship. Through the process of discipleship, which we're going to define and help us help you to understand later what that looks like, that is how he led his disciples to ultimately change and become different and become more like him. It was through a process called discipleship where they would follow him. Now, the obvious question here is, how are we supposed to do discipleship when Jesus is not here? That would be fantastic, right? If Jesus showed up at your door and he said, come follow me, be my disciples, I'm thinking most of us would say, yeah, absolutely, Jesus. That's amazing. Thank you for this opportunity. Like, this is a jackpot. But Jesus is not here. The answer is that there is a way to, in fact, be discipled by Jesus even though he's not here. And Pastor Jonathan is going to talk about that next week. Pastor Jonathan is going to show us how we can be discipled under Jesus even though he is not here. But Jesus knew what his plans were. Right? Jesus knew that he was going to leave. And so he prepared a way for us to go about sanctification through discipleship even though he's not here. And he did that by creating this thing. It's called the church. It's called the church, and he set up the church, and he gave it a very specific command in order for this to happen among all the followers that would come after him and after his followers. And he says this in Matthew 28. This is called the Great Commission. This is why churches exist. Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The first thing that he tells his church, his people to do, is make disciples. Remember the thing that I did with you guys? You guys do that with other people now. That's what I want you to do. That is what the church is supposed to do, is make disciples, not have worship services. Now, I'm gonna be careful, because if we go too far, I'm out of a job, right? But let's be honest, this is the one thing, the one thing he said the church has to do is make disciples. That's what you have to do. And so he set up the systems, like, I'm not going to be here, but I'm going to create this thing called the church, and you guys are going to be in it, and all I want you guys to do is make disciples. They're like, how do we make disciples? He says, you remember what I did for you? You do that to someone else. Then you're making disciples. It's really simple, man. This is what I did with you, now you do that with someone else. And actually, the early church, they got it. They really understood this because it was modeled for them, so they just started doing that. They didn't know anything about theology. They didn't know anything about all the stuff that we know now. They had no technology. They had no media. All they knew was, I was discipled by Jesus. I can do that to someone else. And the church was 
crazy. And the church turned the world upside down. Because why? Because people discipled people. And, you know, yesterday or last week, Pastor Jonathan, or in the last sermon, Pastor Jonathan talked about a guy named Saul. And we talked about his conversion experience and how he was changing all that. But I want you guys to understand something about Saul. Saul was not just a, it, it was a miraculous moment of conversion, but he wasn't just left there to figure everything out by himself. Yeah, he has that moment on Damascus Road where he's blinded and all that stuff, but God brings other people into his life to help him grow up into the person he eventually became. Let's go to Acts 9. Look at this quick, quick example of, of Paul's story. So Paul gets blinded on the road, has a conversion experience, and then God speaks to another man named Ananias. Acts chapter 9, verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so after he does that, the, the things fall from his eyes and Paul can, Saul can see again. But then it says, after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. He wasn't just like, oh, I can see now. Let me go and start doing the work. He sat and stayed. And we don't know how long several days is, but he sat with the other disciples who were discipled by Jesus himself. And what do you think they did there? It was probably Paul asking tons and tons of questions. Wait, 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 wait. So, so tell me about this happened. I heard about this feeding of the 5,000. Like, tell me about that. What happened? What do you do when this happens? What did Jesus say when this situation arose? You know, I would imagine it was this kind of conversation that people were, were sharing and pouring into Saul. Their experiences being discipled by Jesus. They were making a disciple in Paul. Later on, he talks about his own kind of spiritual journey in Galatians. And, and listen to what he says in Galatians 1 as he talks about his journey. He says, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were the apostles, uh, those who were the apostles before I was. Instead, I went away to Arabia and later I returned to the city of Damascus. So at first in his journey, he wanted to like figure things out by himself. So there's this vertical relationship of discipleship to Jesus. Again, what Pastor John is going to teach us on next week. But look what he says after this. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter. Like he's the guy. He was the one, like he was with Jesus. He was in the inner circle. So I went, wanted to get to know him. And I stayed with him for 15 days. I sat with him. I talked to him. And I learned about Jesus from him. And I learned about following Jesus from him. Like the early church, they understood this. And then you see Paul in his ministry. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but if you read his stories, he's never alone. He's always with somebody else. He always brings someone with him, right? Like he has a famous disciple or, or a protege named Timothy, and he writes letters to. And then he has a, a, a disciple named Barnabas. And always he's going around doing ministry. He has a guy named John Mark join him. He like never did it by himself. He's like, hey, 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 you, you, you. You're my disciple now. Let's go together. Let's do this stuff. And they would walk together and go around and have missionary experiences. They would suffer together. They would serve together. They would preach together. They would get persecuted together. They'd go to jail together, right? Like this is what Paul did. Just follow me around and learn everything you can about how I follow Jesus. Paul lived this life of discipleship. And everyone under Paul, they were changed and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if, if you're thinking, if you're like, okay, okay, that sounds cool. Paul did it. The disciples did it. 
What is it really? Right, and I've heard the term discipleship over and over again. I've heard about it a lot. I don't really know what discipleship is. I'm gonna make it very, very clear for you. And Paul explains it in one verse, and I think this might be the best definition of the method of discipleship. Really, really simple. He writes this to the believers in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse one. You should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. That is discipleship. That is discipleship in a nutshell. I'm gonna try to follow Jesus and you follow the way I follow Jesus. Like, you don't really know how to do it. I'm kind of figuring it out. I'm going to do my best to imitate and follow Jesus and be like him. And you follow along and you do the same thing. Imitate me just as I imitate Jesus. That's how Paul did it. It's simple. See, discipleship, we've kind of made it weird in the church. We've made it into like a class. And, and people have discipleship courses and discipleship books and discipleship trainings and discipleship curriculums. That's actually not what discipleship is. It's not a book or a process. It's not that kind of process. It's not a curriculum. It's not a class. It's not a study. It's not a seminar or a workshop. It's a relationship. It's a relationship that you enter into someone else who is further along in the journey and they pour into you their experiences and how they follow Jesus. This is my definition of discipleship. One follower showing another follower how they follow. That's my understanding of how discipleship works. It's one follower. It's not an expert. It's not the teacher. It's just one follower showing another follower how they follow. This is how I live my life to be more like Jesus. Now, I want, you to, be, I want to be really clear. It's showing another follower how they follow. It's not some like how they should follow. It's not how someone else follows. It's simply how they follow. It's born out of their experience with Jesus. This is why anyone can be a maker of disciples. This is why anyone, any of you, can share with someone else how you follow Jesus. Because it's not about some perfect version of it. It's just simply how you do it. And that, that, that disciple, that person you're working with, they may stay with you for a time and they may move on and find someone else, right? Like it, it, it's the analogy and it's not a perfect analogy, but it's close to mentorship or coaching. If you think about it, for all the things that are most important in your life, you have found a coach or mentor or a teacher to teach you in that thing. Is that not true? For the most important things in your life, you spent years and years under a teacher probably learning these things. Someone mentored you about something. If you have kids and you want your kids to be good at something, whether it's an instrument or a sport or something, what do you do? What do you do? You sign them up for what? Private lessons. Whether they want to or not, it doesn't matter. But if you are serious about one of your kids or your people getting really good at something, you will find them a coach. You will find them a piano teacher. You'll find them an instructor. And in your own careers, if you've wanted to grow and get better in your career, you have sought out a mentor or you've thought, I need to find a mentor. Why do we not do this for our spiritual lives? Why do we not do this with our desire to become more like Jesus? Asking someone to coach us, mentor us, and show us, how do I do this? 
I don't really know how to follow Jesus in my life in this world right now. Can you just show me how you do it? Can you show me how you follow Jesus in your workplace? Can you just talk to me about how you show, how you follow Jesus at your home in your family? Can you show me how you follow Jesus in the midst of your anxiety and your struggles? Can you show me how you follow Jesus when, when you were single looking for a spouse, looking for a partner? How did you do that? I'm not really sure how to do that. Can you show me that? Can you just tell me what you did? And maybe you made mistakes along the way, but help me learn from that. I want to learn from that. This is what discipleship is. And can you imagine how much different it would be if our process of trying to become more like Jesus included the process of discipleship? Where it wasn't just you gritting your teeth, using willpower and doing everything you could, but instead you invited someone, you asked someone, hey, show me the ropes. I have these doubts. I have these questions. You had those doubts too once, right? How did you follow Jesus when you were doubting and deconstructing your faith? Because I'm doing it right now. I don't know what I believe anymore. I don't know what my, what, if what my parents told me, what pastor told me is true. I'm struggling. I don't know how to really follow Jesus in this season of my life. But you went through that, right? Can, can you tell me how you did it? What did you think about? What books did you read? What did, what did you do? What kind of conversations did you have? What helped you? Maybe it'll help me. Like the spiritual journey, guys, was not meant to be a solo effort. And largely, that's what we do. And I grew up in that, and I, brought in, I was brought up in that as well. And so I realized I don't really know how to do this because it was never modeled for me. But here's my thing, guys. It has to start somewhere. Someone's got to take up the answer, take up the call, and say, I, I'll disciple someone. I'll make a disciple. And here's what I struggle with, guys, as the pastor of our church. What I struggle with is we do a lot of stuff here, right? Like our church is a busy church and we are very active and we do tons of things, lots and lots of things. And they're good things. We have worship services, praise practice, we have, uh, we have activities after church for children and for youth, we have Sabbath school, Bible studies, small groups, outreach programs, all this kind of stuff. We have puzzle nights like we did a couple weeks ago, right? We, we do all these things. And they're all really good things. But as I studied and prepared, I could not help but hear the question from God. But are you making disciples? We're having a lot of fun, Jesus. Yeah. But are you making disciples? Our disciple-making process is just like, I hope somebody grows. I hope someone comes to church enough times and listens to enough sermons and then they'll be changed. We do a ton of stuff, stuff that I love, stuff that I come up with. Our team works so hard and they're so good. They're all really, really awesome programs. But here's what I struggle with. We could do all of those things. We can do all of those things but not actually be a church. Because the church is supposed to do at least one thing, make disciples. And here's the thing, we could get rid of all of that stuff. We could do none of that stuff. We could, we could even get rid of our worship services. And if we made disciples, we would be the church. Like that's crazy to me. And so I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh, what am I supposed to do with it? And so for me, the challenge that I feel, the challenge that I sense that God is putting on my heart is we have to figure out where we do all the stuff we do, but it's all centered around discipleship. 
Like, how do we do puzzle night, puzzle competitions for the purpose of discipleship? Maybe there's a way. How do we do children's ministry? How do we do youth ministry? How do we do Sabbath school? How do we do all that stuff so it's centered around making disciples? That's my challenge. Like, that's my project. You don't really have to think about that. That's what I'm kind of, that's kind of like what's, what's taking over my mind, kind of I'm obsessing, obsessing, obsessing about these days. How do we center all of it around discipleship so that we could do the one thing right that Jesus asked us to do? Now, in order to do that, there has to be a, a, a shift in our understanding. And I think many of you guys know this, but let me put it out there. We have to understand what the church is and what the church is not. I think our, our, and I think my kind of struggle with this is because maybe I've lost sight of what the church really is. So here, let me tell you guys what, what it is. This right now, what we're doing right now, this is not church. All right? You guys sitting there, me standing up here, talking to you, people singing, this is not church. This is a gathering. This is worship, but this is not the church. And you've heard this before. This building that you come to, when you say, I'm going to church and you're coming to Rock Fellowship, that is not the church, actually. Do you know what the church is? The church is when you are sitting with like five other people at your house around a table. That's church. The church is people, not buildings, not programs. The church is you, one-on-one, -on -one, someone telling you about what their struggles are, you listening, you encouraging them, you praying for them. That is church. This is a gathering of believers, and this is important, and this is awesome, and I love it, and I love to do this, and hopefully you enjoy it. But the church is not this. The church are the people. And the church is you gathering together. Small group is more church than this. So if you attend worship service and you're not in small group, you don't go to church. Because that's where church happens. That is where church happens. That's the church. So we have to understand it in order for us to move forward, in order to make disciples. It's not what happens in this building once a week. It's what happens at your home, in your relationships, every day of the week. That's church. That's ministry. And as I think about our church, here's what I realized. In our church, we have, we have many cheerleaders, but few coaches. Like, we have a lot of cheerleaders here. We have a lot of people, when someone shares a testimony and we see that they're going, we're like, praise God. We love it. We encourage them. We support them. We're like there for them. We absolutely do that. And you guys are so good at that. When new people come to the church, you invite them so they can get to know people. And as they grow, you celebrate that. We're so good at celebrating that stuff. We're so good at being cheerleaders. And we need cheerleaders. And all of us are cheerleaders to some degree. But the truth is, we have a lot of cheerleaders, but we don't have a lot of coaches. And we need some coaches, guys. We need some coaches. We need cheerleaders, yes. So cheer your heads off. But some of you need to take the step forward and accept the call to be some version of a discipler, a coach. We need that in order for us to be faithful and obedient to the Great Commission. Because I just need you guys to do one thing. Make disciples. And the people who make disciples, those are the coaches. Those are the mentors. Those are the teachers. So here's where the rubber meets the road, guys. 
and this is all really new for me. I'm growing in this and figuring out this, how this is going to relate to church ministry here. But here's where the rubber meets the road. In this room, you are either, or you are probably both, disciple and discipler, everyone in this room. Even if you don't want to hear, you're like, I don't want to be one of those. Too bad you are. And in this season, you are either a disciple or you're a discipler. How do you know the difference? I'm going to share with you guys three thoughts about how to know if you should be a discipler. Two of them I'm really sure of. The third one I'm not that sure of. So you'll see that I, I'm not that really sure about it. But I think it's important to be said. The first one. You're not going to want to hear this. If you're a parent, you are a discipler, 100%. There's nothing else I need to say about that. I don't think I need to make the case. If you are a parent, if God has put a child in your life and you are a believer, guess what? You are a discipler. You are the main primary discipler of your children. Not me and not Pastor Jonathan. You cannot outsource spiritual growth to us. You, as a parent, you are the primary discipler of your children. Proverbs 22.6, really famous verse. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. If you got kids, you are a discipler. I, I, I saw this on, online one time. This pre preacher was talking about this, and I was like, man, this is so convicting. He said, if your child... If your child went to a school from kindergarten into to senior year of high school, and they graduated high school, and you found out they couldn't do math, what would you think? How angry would you be? How angry would you be? Like, my kid went to your school for 12, 13 years, and they don't know how to do math. You would probably go to the teacher, go to the superintendent, and say, what are you doing? But here's a, here's a challenge. You have children living at your home from birth until they go to college. When they leave your home, do they know how to pray? Do they know how to read scripture? Do they know how to study the Bible? Do they know how to do the things to spend time with Jesus? You are the primary discipler if you are a parent. And again, I'm a parent, so I'm calling this upon myself. What am I doing to raise my children up in Jesus so that they will have a, a relationship with him that helps them to become more like him. Are my kids going to know how to serve? Are they going to know the right motives? Are they going to know how to pray? Are they going to know how to read the Bible? Are they going to know how to meditate on scripture? Are they going to know how to do that? I don't know. But if you're a parent, that's your calling. And that's tough. That's a hard word, right? And I'm sorry if that made anybody feel uncomfortable. That's the truth. That's the scripture truth, man. And I'm going to share that with you. So if you are a parent... You are a discipler. Here's a second one. If you've been discipled, I suppose say you've been discipled, you are a discipler. If any point in your life someone has poured into you, you are called to pour into someone else. If someone took you under their wing and helped you grow spiritually, guess what? You are now called to disciple someone else. You know, I, I, I have this picture and this amazing image that I'm thinking of when I think about this. Like, if we do this, right? What we're going to have in this, in this church are not just families. Right? we got families here. we got young families. we got, we got all kinds of families here. But one of the things that we're going to start having, think about this, are spiritual families. Where you disciple someone. So you have like a spiritual son or a spiritual daughter. And then they disciple someone. Now you have a spiritual grandkid. 
You have a spiritual granddaughter. And then that grand, spiritual granddaughter, grandkid, they disciple someone else. You have a great grandchild in spirituality and discipleship. Like, wouldn't that be awesome? Like, you look around this church and you see the effect of your input in someone's life to second and third and fourth generations. Like, that's kind of how the church is supposed to look like. And you can say to this person, hey, this is your spiritual grandfather. This person discipled me and this person discipled them. You wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be where you are at if not for these people. Isn't that awesome? Like, that's how the, the, the church is supposed to look eventually when discipleship is happening. This is what he tells, Paul tells to Timothy. He says, you've heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now do what? Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Generations and generations and generations of disciples and disciplers. Where people are following Jesus and they're showing other people how they follow Jesus. I don't know about you guys, but to me that's such a compelling image of the church. Now here's the last one, the one that I'm not super sure about. Whether you are called to be a discipler. And this is going to apply to some of you, not all of you. If you no longer get anything out of church, you might be called to be a discipler. Let me explain that. If there was a point in time in your life where you were dedicated to the church and you were dedicated to God and you loved worship and you loved scripture and you loved reading and you would come to church and you would listen to sermons and you would be, you would be inspired and challenged and you'd be like, yes, right? Like if there was a time in your life you lived like that and you read and you did all the things and you worshiped in small group and led small group and mission trips and all that stuff, but at some point in time, it started to get a little bit less exciting and you came to church and you're like, oh, that, that was a good sermon, but, but I've heard that before. I, I think you said that like last year. I think you, maybe, was that the same sermon? That might have been the same sermon. And like the worship music was not as, as it wasn't getting you. It wasn't as meaningful for you and the sermons and the Bible and like all this stuff. And you're like, you know, I, I'm not really getting anything out of church anymore. But I'll come because like this is what I do. I don't have anything else to do. I should do this. This is what I'm supposed to do. If that's your story, you might, in this season of life, you might be called to be a discipler. Like maybe you're not getting anything out of church because now is a time where you're supposed to put something back into church. Like maybe, maybe you, you are not, you're not, no longer a spiritual consumer because now you're supposed to be a spiritual contributor to the church. Maybe you've received all the stuff and that's why nothing's exciting anymore to you. Maybe you've heard it all because you've known and you've learned a lot of stuff. Maybe, just maybe, you are now called to pour that into someone else. Another believer, another follower who's walking on that journey. And you can do that. There might be some of you who are in that place and you just might, in this season of life, God might be calling you to disciple someone else. So, I don't know where this is going to go. Again, this is something I'm learning about. This is something I'm growing in. I don't know where this is going to go. But if there are some of you guys, and this is kind of the ask, all right, where we're at in our church, in our kind of discipleship life as a church, this is where we're at. This is my ask for you. If you hear this and you're like, I need someone to disciple me. Like, I, that sounds great. Like, I've been on this journey alone and I want to learn, I want to grow, I want to become more like Jesus. 
I need to be discipled. If you're feeling that sense and you like have a conviction, like, yeah, this is what I really, really need. I can't do it on my own anymore. I've tried and I failed. I still struggle with the same stuff. I have the same character. I'm not developing. If you're like, yeah, I need to find a disciple, here's what I want you guys to do. This is what you gotta do. This week, prayerfully, 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 throughout the week, pray that God would put someone on your mind, give, that, give you a name, give you a face of the person he wants to disciple you. Okay, and pray about that. And think about who this person is. And think about, ask God, show me my discipler. Show me my person that's going to lead me in this way. And after praying about it, after praying about it and having a conviction, yeah, like it's this person that you think God is calling to disciple you, go ask them. And I know that's weird. Can you disciple me? That's super weird, right? Let's be honest, that's super weird. But it's so, so important for you. It could be the moment that changes everything for you. It could be the moment that actually you begin to experience the victory that you've been wanting to experience your entire life. It might, it, might, it might shine light and shed light on so many things that you were confused about for so long. It could all possibly be all undone by this one decision to ask someone, hey, can you disciple me? So that's what I want to ask you. If you're in that place where you feel like you need to be discipled, pray about it. Ask God to show you who that is and muster up some courage. And you can start by saying, hey, I know this is kind of weird. Remember last week the sermon that Pastor Chris talked about? So, you know, I've been thinking about that and I prayed and I think that's you. Can you disciple me? Now, if someone asks you to disciple them, don't pray about it. Just say yes, okay? Just say yes. I'm just kidding. You should pray about it, right? You should pray about it. But if someone asks you, hey, can you disciple me? I want you to understand how big of a decision that is. Like all the stuff that they went through to get to the point to ask you is a lot. That meant they prayed all week and asked God, or maybe even longer than a week. They've been praying and praying for, to know who to ask to disciple them. And then when they went to you, they were scared. Right? They were nervous. And they probably did the thing where they're like, mm, maybe not. they felt weird about it. They felt weird. And for them to muster up the courage, to find the strength, to have that conversation with you, like they went through a lot. So that deserves, that deserves your deep consideration and prayer about this. Do not use God as an excuse to say no. Don't have someone ask you and say, let me pray about it so that you can pray and tell God all the reasons why you're not supposed to do that and then go back to them and say, you know what, I just feel like God doesn't want me to do that. Don't do that. Don't use God as an excuse. Pray about it and think about it and understand what they, what they went through to do that. And just ask yourself one question. What is more important than this? What in your life is more important than pouring into another believer to help them become more like Jesus? What's more important than that? I would argue nothing is more important than that. So I'm praying for movement. I'm praying for action. I'm praying for response. If you want to be discipled, take those steps. Pray and pray and pray and ask God to show you. And if someone actually asks you, I hope you'll say yes. 
and you would enter into some journey, some simple journey where you meet once a week and, and, and you guys talk a little bit here and there, you pray for each other. If someone asks you and you're like, I want to say yes, but I have no idea what to do, I want you to come find me. And we'll talk about it and we'll figure it out and we'll train you and we'll help you to prepare you to be a discipler. Now, there's a third group of people here. that Some of you are like, yes, I feel like I should disciple someone. But then nobody wants to be discipled under you. There are some of you that are like that. You're like, yes, I really feel like I should disciple somebody, but I have no disciples. First of all, like, that's okay. That's okay. Jesus didn't have any disciples. Nobody came to Jesus asking for discipleship, did they? Jesus went to people in the spirit and invited them into a discipleship relationship. So there are some of you who are feeling like convicted. Yeah, yeah, this is my time. This is what I've been needing to hear. Like I've been struggling. I've been, I've been in church, but I'm not really getting any of that. I get it. This is what I'm supposed to do. If that's you, we got to talk. And you got to spend time in prayer so that God would identify people in your life that he has called you to approach to enter into a discipleship relationship. That could happen as well. We've been asked to do one thing. Make disciples. Followers showing other followers how they follow. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to know all the answers. But some of you are called to be a disciple. This is how people are supposed to grow up in church. People are supposed to be guided and walked alongside so they would become more like Jesus. It's not supposed to be a, we hope you figure it out. Here's the resources, here's the book. We hope you figure it out. That's not how it was meant to be. We are called to do one thing, make disciples. Now next week, Pastor Jonathan is going to bring up, as we conclude this series, one of the most important parts of growing, becoming more like Jesus is being discipled by Jesus himself. And so what we have to do in our lives, we have to have a discipleship, horizontal relationship with someone else, but we all have to engage in a vertical discipleship relationship with Jesus. So don't miss that week. Don't miss next week. Pastor Jonathan is going to share really, really important stuff to help us know how to be discipled under Jesus himself. So join us for that part, part four of our series, Growing Up. If you feel convicted in any way to be discipled or be a discipler, take that seriously, listen to God, and respond to him in prayer. And I'm excited to see what God is going to do in those relationships. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for challenging me. This is one of those messages, Lord, that if I take to heart, it could change everything. Not just for me personally, but it could change a lot about what we do at church. And that's hard. It's easy to just do what we do and, and, and just keep going with what we're going. But Father, like, there's just one thing we got to do. Lord, this church is not a building, it's not programs, it's not activities, it's the people. And church is what happens in between the people in this room and the relationships. Father, I just want to pray, God, that you would raise up disciples and you would raise up disciplers in this community. It's a new thing for us. It's a weird thing for us. We don't know, but we want to be obedient. We want to be faithful to you. We want to fulfill the Great Commission, Lord, and just do what we got to do. Start somewhere to start making disciples. Show us the way. Stir in us, Lord. In your name we pray.